صلى الله عليك وعلى أهل بيتك يا المعصومين صلى الله عليك يا مولاي وابنايا الله الواسع ويا باب نجاة الأمة ما خاب من تمسك بكم وأمنا من لجأ كل مؤمن ومؤمنة يا رحمة الله الواسعة ما خاب من تمسك بكم أمنا من لجأ إليكم يا ليتنا كنا معكم فنفوز فوزا عظيما بر محمد وآل محمد صلوات بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا النبي المؤيد والرسول المسدد والمصطفى الأمجد والمحمود الأحمد حبيب إله العالمين أبي القاسم محمد صلوات الله وسلامه عليه وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين سفن النجاة الأعلام من ركب سفينتهم نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق ثم أما بعد Respected elders, scholars, brothers and sisters السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته Allow me first and foremost to take this opportunity to offer my heartfelt greet, uh, condolences to none other than to the Prophet himself صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم and then to the maqam and the status of none other also than our awaited Savior, Al-Imam Al-Mahdi, Al-Hujjat ibn Al-Hassan, Salawatullah wa Salamuhu alayh. On this occasion marking the martyrdom anniversary of our beloved Imam, Al-Imam Al-Hussein ibn Ali, Salawatullah wa Salamuhu alayh. It is also part of gratitude that we have been taught by the Prophet ﷺ, in which he stated emphatically, 
those who cannot show gratitude to people cannot show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself I must take this opportunity also to thank to thank the organizing community for availing me of the opportunity to be with you over the next 10 nights or so in this beautiful and holy place your center in Toronto Canada of course when we talk about the school of Karbala and the school of Ashura there are so many dimensions to that school but in tonight's lecture or in tonight's talk I would like to touch on one particular aspect of that particular school and that is the spiritual aspect of the school of Karbala I believe in taking a long and a longer and a deeper look at the school of Karbala we can find that Karbala without a, without a doubt without an iota of a doubt represents the epitome of spiritual guidance if you really and truly want to aspire for spiritual upliftment not only on a theoretical way because to theorize we can do a lot we can speak from now until maybe tomorrow in terms of theory but what concerns us when it comes to the school of Karbala is not the theory it's the practice so we are talking here more about the spiritual practice that we can indulge in in order to make ourselves better human beings, better Muslims and when I speak about human beings I feel personally that a synonym to a Muslim is to be a true human being so if I was to ask what is the synonym of a Muslim automatically it's someone that knows his humanity and someone that incorporates that humanity within the guidelines of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us therefore to understand spirituality one needs to take a deeper look at Karbala which as I said represents the epitome of spiritual guidance and in order to tangibly perceive the inner spiritual dimension of the event of Karbala perhaps the most eloquent revelation and the most eloquent way to describe this particular aspect of the school of Karbala is the words of Zainab when she was asked in the courtyard of none other than Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad the following condescending question but keep in mind that Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad little he knew that he was speaking to the daughter of Ali which means she is someone that you cannot mess with and I say it with the most emphatic words tonight and every night today tomorrow and yesterday I would say to our women to our children do not let anyone mess with you because you are the children of Ali and Zainab you are the followers of that school of thought do not allow people to take you for granted be proud of the fact that you have what you have that this religion has been handed to you by your fathers and forefathers through the chain and the school of Ahlul Bayt that represents the very pure 
aspect of Islam as it has been revealed to the Prophet himself So you should take proud in the fact that you actually follow that line of school of thought. Not only because you are Muslims, but also because that Islam gives you an ability to understand life in a clearer and a more uh, 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 elusive foundation and paradigm that would make you the person you are and to be the proud human being you are. Why I say this? Before I go into my topic, I say this because as youth living in this society and in every other Western society per se, we are being challenged today more than any time in our life and our existence. We have been challenged on the basis of different ideologies, on the different trends, on the different ideas pertaining to different genders, and we need to stand firm and say who we are, what we are, and what we represent without any sense of wavering or any sense of compromise. That does not mean I cannot be inviting and accepting. These are two separate issues. To be someone who is proud of his faith is one thing, and to be accepting and accommodating is a completely different paradigm as well. You know, in the English language, I feel that the word tolerance is lacking of any sense of acceptance, because tolerance is a word that is in fact insulting. It is not a word that comes to assume a kind of love, affection, and empathy within its bounds. No, I tolerate you because there is a law in place that dictates that I should tolerate you. And if that law was to be waived, then you will see the true colors of what the opposition is all about. Islam takes human interaction to a completely different level. Islam says you should not tolerate, you should not accept, but you should tolerate, accept, and embrace all in one. And that makes that particular ideology, something that is so encompassed, so overwhelming, so willing to accommodate everyone and anyone within its midst on the basis of what we can agree on and on the basis where we disagree, we must have that respect for one another. But the opponents of the school of Ahlul Bayt and the opponents of Zainab did not understand and did not meet her from that perspective. So they wanted to humiliate her further than the question of being taken as a prisoner from, Kar from Karbala to Kufa initially and then from Kufa to Sham where she ended up in the courtyard of Yazid ibn Muawiyah. So what does Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad says to Sayyidah Zainab He says to her, what do you say about what God 
has done to your brother and your family. Now, the question itself by Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad is wrong. But he wanted to relate the action of his master and that of his own back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And said to Sayyidah Zainab, how did you see what Allah did to your brother? Allah didn't do that for Hussein. Salamullah alayh. Allah didn't want that to happen to Hussein. Salawatullah wa salam alayh. Allah did not want the humiliation to be upon the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah did not wish for the killing of Hussein to take part or to take place in this particular fashion where his dignity was not reserved, where the hooves of horses were trampled over the body of Imam Hussein, where he was looted in every possible way that you can conceive and imagine, and then his family members were slaughtered like sheep, even his infant child was killed in front of his own very eyes. How is it possible then to relate such action back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? But in order to justify what they have done on the plains of Karbala and the atrocities that they have done on the family of the Prophet they related the action that their hands omitted back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is indeed absolutely false in the way that he asked his question. But he wanted to further humiliate Sayyidah Zainab salamullah alayha in that particular context. The question that, or the answer, or the reply that he never anticipated or expected was the thing that brought this dimension of spirituality into question. She said, Ma ra'aytu illa jamila. I saw nothing but beauty. I saw nothing but beauty. Now the question that comes to mind is the following. The question that comes to mind he after hearing such a reply by Sayyidah Zainab is that I want to pose this question to Sayyidah Zainab. I would say Sayyidati wa Mawlati, Sayyidah Zainab. When we narrate the tragedy of Karbala, only sorrow develops and increases in the heart of your ardent follower and the one that loves your family. Only grief comes out from the narration of Karbala. Only pain intensifies in the heart of a follower of Ahlul Bayt, Salamullah alayhim ajma'een, when they hear the story of Karbala. When the story of Karbala is related to us year after year, majlis after majlis, and you know, decade after decade. What other narrative, I ask Sayyidah Zainab, did she have of Karbala? Did she have another narrative? Was her narrative or was her lens when she looked at what was happening in Karbala was different to the lens that we look at Karbala from? It certainly was because she is the one who articulated the answer 
to Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad and said, Ma ra'aytu illa jamila. I saw nothing but beauty. To answer this particular question, I must take you to a Sayyid by the name of Haddad al-Musawi. That Sayyid looked at what happened on the plains of Karbala and in particular what had happened to Imam Hussein himself, salawatullah wa salamu that entitled Sayyidah Zainab to say, Ma ra'aytu illa jamila. He has this to say, and I quote him verbatim so that we understand the spiritual dimension of Ashura. He says, Ashura is a day which if only a fraction of it were to be unveiled for the spiritual wayfarer, an ardent lover, it would keep them in a state of bewilderment out of extreme ecstasy until the end of their lives. Until the end of their lives. Now soon you will see why then Imam Hussein salawatullah wa salamuhu alayhi bi abi huwa wa ummi was able to sustain all the injuries that had happened to him. You know Imam al-Baqir when he describes the injuries of his uh, father or his uh, uh, grandfather, Imam Hussein sallallahu alayhi he had this to say. He says when he was asked, how is it possible that in a body of a human being, someone could be struck with more than 300 beats of swords, lances, and daggers? How, how, how could a human being sustain, or where would you be able to penetrate in a body of a human being, more than 380 or 400 strikes. He says, listen to his words. You know what that means? That means they would strike him in one place and they will strike him again in the same place. So it was not always all over his body. It was one on top of the other. That requires us then to understand how was Imam Hussein able, salawatullah wa salam to sustain all these injuries, to be able to bear the pain of such strikes in the face of his enemies. This man continues. He said, although Imam Hussein was apparently struck with such injuries that no prophet divine successor or human being is heard to have encountered such as his thirst which cannot be intellectually apprehended or comprehended his spirit would experience the delights of the manifestation of the lights of divine beauty listen to this carefully so every time the imam was struck or every time he felt his thirst, what would he see? He would see the delights of the manifestations of the lights that coming directly to him from his creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The delights of the manifestations of the lights of divine beauty and the revelation of divine majesty, as well as the eagerness 
to meet and reach the proximity of Allah. Which means that whenever the Imam was struck, he knew he was closer to the divine proximity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was closer to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the place where he was promised by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And amidst all this proximity and eagerness to be closer to Allah, his pains and his sufferings were able to be tolerated tolerated in fact at times it was totally forgotten it was totally forgotten you know sometimes when you are engrossed in something you don't feel your surroundings right or wrong sometimes if you're doing something and you're so excited and you are so engrossed in it so deeply involved in it you get to a stage where you forget your surroundings one day for example there was a lady here next to you in, in USA, in the state of New York. She was ironing. But while she was ironing, she was listening to a, something that caught her attention. So intensely she was involved in listening to what she was listening that the phone rings. When the phone rings, instead of answering the phone, she puts the iron against her face. That shows the intensity of her attention towards the thing she was listening to. Imagine then Imam Hussein sallallahu What was Imam Hussein doing in Karbala? What was Imam Hussein's mission to go all the way, leave Medina? By the way, by the way, Imam Hussein was promised Jannah or not? He was promised Jannah or not? I want an answer. Yes or not? Yes, of course. How do we acknowledge this or verify this information? The Prophet told him, Al-Hasan wal-Hussein Sayyidai Shababi Ahlil Jannah. Hassan and Hussein are the masters of the youth of paradise. Then what is the, the idea, what is the uh, uh, meaning of Imam Hussein then going to Karbala and dying in that particular fashion? The idea is not death. The idea is not getting to Jannah because we already know he is in Jannah. The idea is that there is something that was in danger. Something that was going to be totally changed. Something that was going to collapse if Imam Hussein did not take that drastic move towards Karbala. And that is Islam itself. Islam that his grandfather worked for relentlessly for 23 years, 11 years in uh, the city of Mecca and the rest in the city of Medina, or 10 years in the city of Mecca and 13 years in the city of Medina, culminates in 23 years of hard work to establish the religion of Islam. In a blink of an eye, the Umayyad dynasty comes to collapse all this particular heritage that the Prophet ﷺ had built over the course of 23 years. It was incumbent then on Imam Hussein to leave everything. Although in Medina, all the companions, the 
those who were after the companions, the tabi'in they called them, right? Who had not yet seen the Prophet because the Prophet had passed away and they came. So they are the children of the companions basically. They all honored Imam Hussein They all went to him before his departure from Medina and they pleaded with him and said to him, don't go. Ibn Abbas in Mecca says to Imam Hussein, okay, I understand that you want to go out. Why are you taking the woman folk with you? His brother Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya in Medina, some riwayat says that when he came to bid farewell to his brother Imam Hussein, he was beating his head, saying to his brother, why do you want to go? Stay behind. You are honored. You are the grandson of Rasulullah. You are the remnant of Ahlul Kisa, right? You are the last member of Ahlul Kisa. We don't have anyone that links us back to Ahlul Kisa except you. You are the last of the five. And that tells you also why is Imam Hussein is mourned more than any other person or any other member of Ahlul Bayt because he's the link between the five and the link between the other nine that came from his progeny. The link to Hassan and Imam Ali and Fatima al-Zahra and Rasulullah, even Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq points towards that point. He says that when Rasulullah died, we sought lament in Ali. And when Ali died, we sought lament and solace in Fatima al-Zahra. And when Fatima al-Zahra died, or when Fatima al-Zahra died, we sought solace in Ali. And when Ali died, we sought solace in Hassan. And when Hassan died, we sought solace in Hussein. But when Hussein went, who do they see and seek solace in anymore? Right? They seek solace in the rest. So he was the link. Salawatullahi wa salamu The last of the five, the last of Ahlul Kisa, Salawatullahi wa salamu But he had to go in order to safeguard Islam. The Islam that now its members are abandoning and leaving, right? Because of a challenge here or a challenge there. Because of someone told me this or someone told me that. Because someone raised an objection to this or someone raised an objection to that, especially when it comes to women issues. Brothers, go read, and sisters, go read how women are treated in other faiths. Forget other faiths. Do you know the Amish community? There is 11 points or characteristics that women must abide by in that community. Do you know what it is? By year eight, she cannot be educated. By the time she reaches year eight, she has to leave school. And if she is to pursue her education, she can only study to be a teacher. Doesn't end here. And if she becomes a teacher and gets married, she has to stop teaching. All right? She cannot wear colors. You're complaining about hijab? She cannot wear colors. She cannot wear something with buttons. Buttons, buttons, buttons. Why? Because they're a form of beauty to them. A form of beauty. She cannot earn money. And whatever she earns 
is the actual, uh, 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 it, it has to be given to her husband. She cannot have any money. You're talking about Islam and the status of women in Islam? Look at Khadija. She employed your Prophet, right? She was a businesswoman, and you want to abandon Islam for this? You think our freedom is in letting go what Islam has given us? Wallah, that's not freedom. That is, in fact, a form of slavery. You know, the idea of freedom of choice is a fallacy. Is an absolute fallacy. You know why? Freedom of choice is something that indirectly says that you have a right to abandon and object and question and defy what Allah wants from you because you're a free person. And that's exactly what happened with Imam Al-Kadhim and Bishr Al-Hafi. Do you know Bishr Al-Hafi? Have you heard of him? Bishr Al-Hafi became a saint at one stage after he was a womanizer and a singer and someone who had money and someone who fornicated and someone who did every haram you can conceive. Every haram you can think of, Bishr al-Hafi did. Until a day where Imam al-Kadhim is passing by his door and one of his mates was outside. May Allah honor you. She was putting the trash out. So the Imam heard all the commotion that is coming out from the house of Bishr al-Hafi. So he asked the mate, whose house is this? She said, this is the house of Bishr. He said, is he a free man or a slave? <laughs> Listen to this. Is he a free man or a slave? She said, how dare you? Indeed, my master is a free man. He said, yes, you're right. He is free because if he was a slave of Allah, he would not have been doing what he's doing. And, she, and he left. When he left and she went back, Bishr asked her, what took you so long? She said, I met this man outside. I couldn't make what he said or what he was after. She said, what did he ask you? So she related to him the whole story. That man started bolting and running after Imam al-Kadhim, He was so struck by the statement of Imam al-Kadhim, that when he ran after Imam al-Kadhim, he forgot to take his shoes. And that's why he was called Bishr the Barefoot. Bishr the Barefoot. The one who forgot to put his shoes on. And he bolted after Imam Al-Kadhim. And he stopped him. He told him, who are you? He said, I'm Al-Kadhim. From the progeny of the Prophet, He said, yes, indeed. What you said to that maid was right. And today I declare my servitude and slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm no longer a free man to do as I please. Within the parameters of Islam, you follow what Allah wants subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, question to learn. Inquire that you would gain more confidence about your faith, that you will be able to be in a position that when you are questioned about your faith, you are able to give an eloquent and convincing answer as to why you believe in such and such cause and why you follow such and such 
ideology. The reason why you are being fought for your Islam today, brothers and sisters, is because they know that what you have is a gem. They know that Islam is the only lasting legacy and ideology in the world today. It is the only challenge to the mind and to the intellect that has convincing answers to give to the rest of the world and to the rest of humanity. And do you think you're going to be let alone? Do you think you and I are going to be let alone? Definitely we're not going to be let alone. We will be cornered. We will be questioned. We will be harassed. We will be discriminated against. We will have Islamophobia against us. Be it. Remain the human being you are. Remain the intelligent human being you are. Remain the Muslim with ethics and morals you are. Remain the spiritual follower of none other than Ahlul Bayt. Salawatullah wa salamu alayhim ajma'in. Remain the person that learned what it means to remain steadfast and not to compromise your principles just like your Imam did. When Imam Hussein in a day like this on the 3rd of Ashura or on the 3rd of Muharram, he arrives in Karbala in a similar day or a similar night and he had the water under his control. Right or wrong? He had the whole Euphrates under his control. So much so that when Hurr al-Rayahi comes with his 1,000 horsemen, Imam Hussein opens the waterway for him and his horsemen. And he says, go and water all your army. The one that come to block Imam Hussein. This is principles. These are values that we don't compromise on. Right? Knowing, knowing, that in seven days he will be denied every item and every drop of water for himself and his family. But he did not compromise. Salawatullah wa salam Right? This person says all this spirituality would diminish those difficulties. It's only by your spirit that you can stand in the face of challenges. If you lose your spirituality, if you lose your identity, you will not be able to sustain such challenges. Trust me. We will fall apart in the face of the first challenge that comes our way. We hit college. We give Islam, what do you call it, holiday for four years. Because now there is P pressure and there is B pressure. Do you understand? The difference between the P and the B, there's two different pressures, right? We have to face this. And there is the other pressures that now happening around us. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, it's been shoved down my throat for 40 years of my life. Science this, science that. You cannot live without science. You cannot do without science. If you don't have science, you can't progress. If science is not in our life, we cannot do anything. If science is not part, your civilization will diminish. Which is true. It's a true statement, right? All of a, si all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, why do we need science to define gender? Really? Well, I don't know what to do anymore. Seriously? You've been shoving science down my throat for 40 years. Now all of a sudden we don't need science 
you define what gender is? He says, no, no, we don't need that. We can just go along with anything, you know. Keep science aside. But when it suits them, science will pop up again. All of a sudden, right? These are the kind of challenges. Wallah, these majalis are a savior. A savior for our faith and spirituality. And if we abandon them and leave them, we will find ourselves in places we would never imagine where it would lead us to. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. All this spirituality would diminish those difficulties. Rather, it would change their severity. This Haddad al-Musawi is saying this about Imam Hussein, that all the spirituality that was ingrained in Imam Hussein would diminish every single difficulty that he was facing. Rather, not only diminish it, he says, it would change their severity into pleasure. Ajeeb. Ajeeb. The state of these holy personalities of Ahlul Bayt, how they dealt with pressure and challenge. They don't look at challenge in a negative perspective. Rather, they look at a challenge from a positive perspective. They see growth in a challenge. They don't see that they are being diminished when a challenge comes their way. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that in the most emphatic terms when it comes to challenge. He said, لِكَيْ لَا تَأْسَوْ عَلَى مَا فَاتَكُمْ وَلَا تَفْرَحُوا بِمَا آتَاكُمْ that you should not bereave over a challenge that comes your way or a difficulty that you are struck with. Nor should you be overjoyed by a blessing that is given your way. Then what should be the position of a mu'min? What should be the position of a spiritual person that follows the path of Ahlul Bayt, That position of being balanced. Being in the middle. I am not over ecstatic when I'm given money or something of a blessing over a blessed nature. Nor would I fall apart if I'm challenged and something is taken away from me. Not at all. I stand firm on my feet because I know whether it's a challenge that is taken something from me or it's a blessing that is given to me. Both are coming to me for my great for my creator and my creator is the one that knows what is best for me at times i do need to be challenged i need to lose something i need to face death because death is something that gives you reality and clarity right when you see it in front of you you ponder as to what's going to happen next who is going to be next and no one is saved from it and when a blessing comes your way right it is also coming to you in the form of a challenge. How would you dispose of that blessing? In what way would you dispose of that blessing? For example, when we, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do we disobey him with something of our own or do we disobey him with everything that he has given us? For example, I lie. How do I lie? With what organ I lie with? My tongue, right? Where did I got that tongue from? Did I make it? Or oh, Allah gave it. Allah gave it. So I'm disobeying Allah with something that he gave. Imagine the audacity. <laughs> Imagine the audacity of a human being. 
I steal with my hand a hand that was given and bestowed to me by my creator. I walk with my own feet to a place that I know I should not walk to. Right? All these are limbs and parts that have been bestowed to me by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet I use every single limp and blessing that Allah has given me to disobey him. Ajib, this human being, instead of utilizing his existence in the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like Ahlul Bayt alayhim, taught us, just like the Prophet wasallam, taught us, just like they presented to the world the paradigm of a holy and kind and compassion and amazing paradigm of living, we flip the coin and we do exactly the opposite to what they did. What is important now to note is that this school and this movement of Imam Hussein must assume a different dimension in our lives based on the above. If we truly seek to advance our spirituality. You know, Muharram is not just about crying, brothers and sisters. Although crying is good. Because it has that emotional attachment to something that will compel you to change yourself. And I'm not against crying. Don't say, ah, Sheikh is trying to rock the boat here. I'm not. Crying is good. It's an emotional part of our existence that Allah has put in ourselves. And people, according to their culture and backgrounds, express grief in different ways. One of these expressions of grief is to cry. When the Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, endorsed it and done it. Yani, for example, if someone asks you, why do you cry for Imam Hussein? He's in Jannah. Look at the lame logic, I swear. Look at this lame example. Imam Hussein is in Jannah, why are you crying for him? Habibi, I cry for him simply because I'm a human being. I have feelings. When I remember how my imam passed away and was martyred and trampled with, it's only human that I cry for him. Because my beloved prophet cried for him before he even was martyred. You know, go to the books of hadith and count the times, then the narrations that the Prophet ﷺ was mentioned crying in these narrations for Imam Hussein. This is not my discussion for today, but it came in the course of the discussion. Minimum, minimum, the riwayat and the narrations we have are 10, 10 times it is narrated that the Prophet cried for Imam Hussein before his martyrdom. And up to 37 riwayat says that he cried for Imam Hussein. Isn't that sunnah of the Prophet then? It becomes the sunnah of the Prophet, right? To cry for Imam Hussein. Because what the Prophet endorsed, whether in action or speech or acknowledgement, becomes part of his way. Acknowledgement means what? Acknowledgement is when the Prophet sees an action. And he does not object to it. It becomes part of his sunnah. Means he approved of it, right? It's not against sharia. It's not against the law. Or he uttered it. He said it, right? So it becomes an articulation of his own speech towards his community. Or it is an action that he himself has carried out. And in that regard, crying is an action, right? Where the Prophet 
poured his grief out. It must change into something more advanced, more refined, and more reformed. That Karbala, that Ashura, should represent this, should represent a movement that is more refined, more reformed, and more advanced. Meaning, I cannot remain the same person. Muharram comes and Muharram goes. Otherwise, the utility of these majalis are not given their 100% effective results as it has been intended for them to give. Right? I can't be jihad. That's my name, by the way. I'm not talking about the concept of jihad. I can't be the jihad of last year who is the same jihad of this year. Defies the purpose. Defies my existence. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ says that if your day, if two days of your life are of equal value and are of equal outcome, then you're a loser. You're a loser. If two days of your life are the same, you're a loser. Ajeeb. Imagine from one year to another. Imagine from one Muharram to another, I remain the same person unchanged. I have not advanced. I have not changed my attitude. I have not changed my way of thinking. I have not advanced in terms of my spirituality, in terms of my akhlaq, in terms of my morality, in terms of the way I treat my you know, friends, in terms of the way I show respect to my parents. Nothing has changed. And then I come to this majalis and I say, Labbaika ya Hussein. Which Hussein are you saying Labbaika to? Which Hussein? Tell me. Identify him for me. Which Hussein? Your Hussein? Your idea of Hussein? Or Labbaika to Hussein ibn Ali, salawatullahi wa who came out of Medina for one reason and one reason only. He described it and he said it in his emphatic terms. Right? I did not come out of haughtiness. I did not come out of arrogance. I did not out seeking the world or the position of leadership. I came out from the city of my prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in order to enjoy what is right, forbid what is evil, and to follow the exact path that was left behind for us by my grandfather, Rasulullah, and my father, Ali ibn Abi Talib, sallallahu wa sallam That is the mission of Imam Hussein sallallahu alayhi He goes to the grave of his grandfather Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a night similar to these nights, right? And he goes to the grave after he's been summoned to the palace of Al-Walid ibn Utbah to take the oath of allegiance from him to Yazid ibn Muawiyah after Al-Walid ibn Utbah received the news of the demise of Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, right? But he says to him, the bay'ah of the Muslims is not an ordinary affair. It is not something that is taken by night and it is something that is taken away from the guise and the approval of the people. It has to be discussed in the presence of the entire Muslim community. And he leaves and refuses 
to surrender and gives his oath of allegiance to, to Al-Walid ibn Utbah. Marwan tells Walid, don't let him go. Look at the audacity of Marwan. He says, don't let him go. If he refused to give the oath of allegiance, فضرب عنقه. Dare you say these words, O oh Marwan. He says, struck the neck and the head of Hussein ibn Ali. What audacity. Hussein ibn Ali gets struck on his head by the like of Marwan and the like of Walid ibn Utbah. So he goes to the grave of Rasulullah to bid him farewell. He comes to the grave of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam while he is greeting the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, relating to him what had happened because of the negligence of his ummah and how the ummah had turned against his household and in particular against Hussein sallallahu wa sallam begins to shed some of his tears in grief in front of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam until the riwayah says he fell into a slumber and he saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Prophet is saying to him Habibi ya Hussein Noor aini ya Hussein In a moment or oh momentarily Oh, Hussein, it is as if I see you covered with your own blood, killed among your family members without a sip of water. Imam Hussein realized he woke up from his slumber and he said to him, Ya Rasulallah, Ya Jadda, ضمني عندك في هذا الضريح. O Prophet of Allah, take me with you into your grave. علني يا جدا من بلوى زماني أستريح. Allah, from the calamities of my days, I find respite in your presence. The vastness of this world and space has become so closed on me. So, Ya Rasulallah, Ya Jaddah, take me into your grave. Wanida'un min qibalil qabri ja'a biftija'a. Now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, brothers and sisters, is responding to Imam Hussein sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to what he had pleaded with Rasulullah to do to him. And Rasulullah answers back Hussein. He says, Ya Habibi, Ya Hussein, Wa Husayna, Wa Husayna, Wa Husayna, Wa Husayn. ستذوق الموت ظلما ظاميا
في كربلاء Surely, oh my beloved, you will taste death without a sip of water thirsty on the plains of Karbala. And you shall remain on its plain, oh Hussein, covered and smothered with your blood from your head to your toe. The last, you know, stanza or the last poetry where the prophet says something that breaks my heart, and I sure it will break your heart. He says to Hussein, it is as if I can observe, oh Hussein, shimmer on your chest, holding your holy bead with his dagger and sword, and severing your head from one end to the other. رحم الله من نادى May Allah have mercy on those who call out with me وحسينان وحسينان وحسين إنا لله وإنا إليه راجعون وسيعلم الذين ظلموا أيام قلب ينقلبون ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم. Brothers and sisters, many people have asked us to pray for them. Someone who are sick, someone who are going through certain difficulties, personal or financial, I ask you to join hands with the loudest of your voices. Join me five times to recite Dua al-Marid wa Dua Tafrij al-Humum Amman yujibu al-Muttarra idha da'a wa yakshifu al-Suh Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Amman yujibu al-Muttarra idha da'a ويكشف السوء لاودا أمان مضطر إذا دعاه ويكشف السوء أمان يجيب المضطر إذا دعاه ويكشف السوء أمان يجيب المضطر إذا دعاه ويكشف السوء لاودس فويسز أمان بحق محمد وآل محمد وبحرمة الفاتحة مع الصلوات صلى الله عليه وسلم محمد